Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Limitless Lives. I'm your host, Nilesh Patel. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. He is an incredible individual who has overcome numerous challenges and is now sharing his inspiring story with the world. Born into a society that projected their own perceptions, including unjust and low expectations, our guest defied the odds and rose above adversities with the love and support of a close-knit family, a village of teachers, coaches, mentors, and extended family friends. His journey is a testament to determination, perseverance, and the transformative power of education and athletics. Through his personal accounts, he not only tells his own story, but also sheds light on the stories of others captured in his book. His book serves as a teaching tool, putting a human face on successfully overcoming the struggles of single parenthood, teen pregnancy, drug and alcohol addiction, and domestic violence. Today, we dive deep into his experiences and the valuable lessons we can learn from them. Join me in welcoming a true inspiration, the author of A Journey to Manhood, The Village That Raised the Boy, Ty Burton. Ty, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you, Nilesh. I'm happy to be here with you today and share my journey with your listeners. Your story is a shining example of resilience and the power of transformation through community. So before we dive into it, for our listeners, can you share a little bit more about your journey and the man that is Ty Burton? Absolutely. So I'll start off with my immediate family. My wife and I, you know, we were high school sweethearts. We've been married now for 18 years. I'm also the father of an 11 year old daughter who keeps us on our toes. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm originally from uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, which I'll share a little bit more with you about. Westchester and my family and essentially the environment and forces that helped shape me into the man that I've become today. I'm also a, a former consultant. That's how you and I uh, first met one another uh, from our days at uh, Accenture, where I spent a number of years in the management consulting space. Uh, I'm also an author. As you mentioned, my book, A Journey to Manhood, the Village to Raise the Boy. I'm also a contributing author to a second book that was published last year, Why Do We Love? When Love Works, When It Doesn't, uh, When It Settles. And that is a collection of poetry and short stories from a number of authors in the Carolinas. Uh, currently, I'm a second year doctoral student in business administration. But before we jump into the questions in the list, a part of what I'd like to do is just share and talk about some of my family history to really give some context behind some of what we'll be discussing today. My family history itself dates back to the 1850s in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and this is prior to the Civil War, prior to the Emancipation Proclamation with my great-great-grandfather, uh, James Burton Sr. He was a freed slave who came to Chester County to work with the Quakers. And so in 1850, African-Americans at that time made up somewhere around 8% or so of the county's population. 
and they were really places numerous in urban areas like Westchester and, and Philadelphia. And so my great great grandfather was really a part of that group that raised families and practiced trades and you know, did many of the things of their white contemporaries during that time and apparently prospered or, or so the the myth goes. My great grandfather, Jeremiah Burton, he was born in 1906. Rather, he went on to marry my great grandmother, Sadie Burton, and they had three children my great grandmother, Evelyn, and her two siblings, Hazel and William. My great grandfather, he had a real sort of entrepreneurial bug in zeal, and he actually owned a small store that he operated for five years, he eventually sort of rented out this space and uh, eventually sold that space, but he sold, you know, hot food and cold cuts and candy and ice cream to uh, local neighborhood families. Um, and that was really around the, the same time he was working at Wyatt Labs and Wyatt Labs was a local pharmaceutical plant or manufacturing facility that was nearby. And that was really a stone throw away from uh, the, the home that he actually built from hand. So if you can imagine building a home from hand today, you know, but my grandmother, she was also during that time in her early twenties. And, and at that time she actually helped my grandfather lay the bricks, including transporting the materials back and forth in a world there. My great grandmother, Sadie Burton, she was a, a really very much a dynamic woman. She was a born educator and despite being blind, she had the distinguished honor of being the salutatorian of her 10th grade class, graduating class at Downingtown High School. And she spoke French. She spoke Latin during the Great Depression. She tutored local neighborhood children and provided hot meals to families that that were in need. And just prior to her death, she was actually given the, the key to our hometown, Westchester, by our mayor, Clifford D. Baptiste. He was the, the first African-American mayor in our town's history at the time. Today, actually, his daughter, Lillian, is the first African-American female you know, mayor of our town. But my grandmother uh, grew up in a mixed community in the last where you know, Blacks at the time really patronized white establishments, though they weren't, you know, necessarily always welcomed. She graduated from uh, Westchester High School, uh, which is now today Henderson High School in 1952. Uh, but things weren't always that way, of course. So this is during times of segregation. So prior to high school, she spent her elementary and middle school years living in segregated conditions when blacks and whites attended separate schools. As a teenager, my grandmother and her friends, you know, one of the things they enjoyed doing was going to the movie theater. So one of the movie theaters was the Warner Movie Theater, which still exists today. It, now, today, though, it's, it's no longer a movie theater. It's actually a hotel. But Blacks during that time were forced to sit upstairs while the white patrons sat up front. So my 
my grandmother and her friends, they would throw water and ice and popcorn, you know, over the balcony, uh, you know, on their fellow sort of patrons below as evidence of their displeasure, if you will. And so that's just a little background, if you will. But I come from a large family of fighters and survivors, but just wanted to share with your audience uh, some of the family background and dynamics. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's a truly inspiring journey, an evolution of who you are today and what shaped your overall transformation too. And in your book, you touch upon your earlier stages of life, especially around the important role your mother played in that. Can you share with us some of the challenges you faced growing up as a son of a teenage mother, and also how you overcame these perceived low expectations that society had unjustly put upon yourself and your family. Yeah, certainly. So first and foremost, Nilesh, I had a great childhood where I was constantly surrounded by love and protected by not only my mother, but the broader community in which I, I grew up in. My mom, as you, as you mentioned, was a teenager. She was actually a junior in high school when I was born. Uh, you know, she went on to graduate, you know, a year later with over a 3.0, right? It, something that I didn't do. <laughs> but she went on to graduate with a 3.0, went back later in life and obtained her bachelor's degree, a four-year degree at the age of 50. Coincidentally, you know, she still works at the same company she did when I was first conceived. And so she's been with her her company over 40 years. She'll be retiring here in, in March, uh, she's actually retiring on her birthday. My mother growing up, she was in essence, both my mother uh, and my father, you know, and she was just really a shining example of intelligence and hard work and dedication. And over the years, she served as the sort of matriarch, I would say, in many ways of her family. You know, she's been the, the family psychologist, the family nurse, the family banker, and the family landlord. And so over the years, as my, my aunts and uncles have graduated from college, they would oftentimes spend that first four, five, six months after graduating college with us at our home. And my mom would oftentimes, you know, send them money while they were in college. And so she constantly has throughout life put others before her. So she's the most selfless person that I know. But we didn't have very much money, right? I wasn't born with, uh, you know, a, a silver spoon. I come from a lower middle class background, really a blue collar background. You know, when I look back at my family home and those who lived in the neighborhood, it was largely laborers and bank tellers, mechanics, postal workers, the, the occasional teacher, and lots of, frankly, single mothers, which was commonplace for me and, and many of my friends. Our family home, Nilesh, was located in the borough of Westchester, and it was really nestled between the three public housing projects and an old lumber yard and, and two manufacturing plants, but we, we made the, the, the most of what we had 
And I never, frankly, Nilesh realized that, you know, that we were not poor, but, you know, that I didn't have with sort of other friends at school may have had, you know, because she surrounded me with so much love, so much affection. We found a lot of free things to do, frankly, park festivals, free concerts, you name it. One of the things that she harped on very early was the importance of education. And so one of my favorite things was, you know, going to the public library with her, uh, where she made sure that we both had library cards and, you know, we'd lock ourselves in a library on a, a Saturday or a Sunday, and we'd leave with a handful of books. And that's where my, my love of, of learning, my joy for learning today comes from. In terms of low societal expectations, growing up, you know, there was just such a great deal of negative imagery and portrayals of young Black males during the time. One popular saying or slogan, if you will, that was often propagated on TV, in music, within the media, was that, you know, by the time you turn 25, you'll likely be dead or in prison if you're a black male. Now, you, you couple that with the fact that I was born to a teenage mother. That's sort of a mental hurdle, frankly, no, no less, that I've, that I've battled throughout. And, you know, I think it's a part of what has empowered me throughout life to really become the best me possible. So essentially, I'm not just living life today for myself. I'm living life for my mother as well. So anything that I accomplish in life is a direct reflection of all the love that my mother has poured into me over the years and keeping me out of trouble and keeping me uh, on the right track in life. That has meant so much to me. Through, throughout life. You know, I mentioned that the negative sort of imagery and portrayals, this was actually during the time of Reagan's war on drugs, which, you know, disproportionately impacted uh, black and brown families in neighborhoods with mandatory minimum sentences and, you know, really stiff sentencing guidelines for oftentimes very minor offenses. And it really sort of hollowed out Black families in this country and destroyed sort of that nuclear uh, family, if you will. Um, at the same time, I was also a latchkey kid. So I had to very early on because my mother, you know, worked odd hours at the plant and in manufacturing facilities and often uh, double shifts to make ends meet. Uh, there were times where, you know, when I, for example, was in college, I can recall coming home and wanting to make a few extra dollars. My mom at the time, this was, just shows you sort of the, the level of dedication. She had just gone through a divorce at the time and she was really looking to, you know, get back on her feet. The side jobs that she took during this time was to clean office buildings. Uh, one of the buildings that she cleaned was the actual building that she had labored in for eight to 16 hours uh, a day. And so she was actually at night sort of cleaning to make extra money 
you know, the very place that she just spent eight hours toiling in throughout the day. And, and so for me, uh, what that translated to was, you know, I spent a lot of time just navigating life on my own at times. Yes, my family was there, but my family's a young family. So my aunts and uncles were either in high school or they were in college at the time, really discovering themselves and, and beginning to make a life for themselves. So I had to very early on make a lot of adult decisions for myself. So for example, in high school to prepare myself for college and coming up with a a curriculum, you know, I would think that in, in most families, you know, this is a family discussion. What types of courses should you take? You know, honors and AP courses. Well, I, I actually had mapped that out myself, right? Because my mother hadn't been in that position previously in life. And she's busy sort of making ends meet and providing. Uh, later on in high school, um, during the recruiting process, I I think, as you know, I played basketball in college, but I really had to navigate much of that recruiting process by myself as as well. But it's it's taught me the importance of believing in yourself and the importance of establishing your own independence and vision for yourself. Ty, it's an incredible journey, true testament to your mother, to yourself and your family. You mentioned the word imagery. People have created this image, this false perception of what might have been going on within your family environment, but it was actually filled with a richness that most people probably didn't comprehend. And that richness was love. That love was instilled through everything that happened and what allowed you to, you know, go on to become who you are today. It's a beautiful opportunity that you've given yourself to really showcase the power of love and how that can really conquer and overcome so many things in life. So thank you for sharing that time. You also touched on love in terms of what your next project is of poetry. I, I want to get into that a little bit because it sounds as though throughout this whole conversation, love seems to be the premise of everything, whether it's self-love showing compassion for others in moments where we may not often want to do that based on how people are treating us, but you demonstrated that. Talk to me a little bit more about how love and support of, you know, your close-knit community and family has really helped contribute to your personal growth and success. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, it really starts with my mom and extends to my grandmother and my aunts and uncles, but beyond my family, it also, you know, teachers, coaches, mentors, it extends to them as well, and including my college coach, David Springer, and I'll share a little bit about that uh, shortly. But my family, my, my grandmother, um, you know, she has a uh, really unique relationship with each of her, her grandchildren. She's a woman who's gone through a lot in life, you know, domestic violence, physical and mental abuse, struggles with alcoholism. She's seen three of her children pass away. She's now in her 90s. Her first husband uh, committed suicide. And uh, through that struggle, she's put a number of children through, through college. You know, I mentioned my mother went back to school at age 50 to earn her 
sort of four-year bachelor's degree, if you will. I also have a number of aunts and uncles who, you know, really established that pipeline, if you will, to college, starting with uh, my aunt Margie. She's now a retired teacher in the Virginia Beach area, but she went on to earn her bachelor's degree and her master's degree. And, you know, I spent many years each summer, frankly, now with my mother driving down to Virginia Beach and spending time uh, with, with my aunt Margie. One funny story with Margie at the time, she was either just graduating from college or she was still a college student, but this is my story of really overcoming fear, right? It was really supposed to be a lesson in learning how to swim. <laughs> this is how my, my aunt Margie taught me how to swim. She made me climb up on the high dive. She was at the midpoint of the pool. I jumped off the high dive and I had to make my way to my aunt Margie in the pool. So what was supposed to be, you know, a swimming lesson, the last turned into, you know, a lesson, an early lesson in overcoming fear. My other aunts, Carol and Evie, they've both, my aunt Carol was no longer with us, but she was like a a second mother uh, to me. Um, after I graduated college, I actually lived in, in one of her buildings. So I rented an apartment from her. It was a part of a duplex. I actually lived, uh, you know, in, in her building underneath her, her home. But she was like a second mother to me. And her spirit is very much alive today. I see a lot of my Aunt Carol and my daughter, uh, Serena, in terms of her intellect and her fierceness. But Carol, you know, talking about sort of juxtaposing you know, that environment, right, that they grew up in uh, with all of the negative elements that I've mentioned, she went on to earn not only an undergraduate degree, but an MBA from Penn State University. And then my Aunt Evie, you know, my Aunt Evie is the, the cool aunt, right? She's always been there for me throughout life when I found myself in jams, you know, she would hop in the car and make sure that you know, as a young adult, that things were, were okay. And also was always there to provide for me you know, at times when I may not have been able to provide for myself as a young adult. And she went on to earn not just a bachelor's degree, but also, you know, she has an Ivy League education and earned a master's degree from the, the University of Pennsylvania. My uncle Bobby. He is my uh, first mentor, he, not my first mentor, but like my first hero in life. Only nine or 10 years separate myself in age from my uncle Bobby, but he was my first hero. Was my fondest memories from childhood with my uncle are you know, in my grandmother's backyard, just throwing the, the football around back and forth. But, you know, throughout life, he's been not an uncle, but really a, a brother for me, it's more of that type of relationship as opposed to an avuncular uh, relationship or figure in my life. And so anything that he did in life very early on, you know, I mirrored. I used to wear his clothes to, to high school very early on. He worked in the nonprofit world and social service agencies. I followed suit. I worked out a number of roles from case management to being a family therapist and behavior specialist consultant. But if Bobby was doing it, I wasn't too far uh, behind. And then, uh, you know, my, my uncle Philip, who is a, sort of the protector, if you will, in my family. 
And then also my, my aunt Berta, who is the greatest cook on the planet earth. <laughs> but that's just a little, you know, about my aunts and, and uncles who uh, really helped to, and my grandmother who really helped to shape who I am today in terms of like coaches and mentors and educators. You know, the first person is Leon Bell. Leon is a pillar in a community. He's been a pillar in the community since probably the 1970s to 1980s. He actually played basketball for John Cheney, John Cheney of, you know, Temple University, John Cheney. So the all-time coaching great Hall of Famer, John Cheney. Uh, he played for him at, at Cheney University. And after he graduated, you know, he worked at the community center, uh, but he worked at a local community center. And while I was in middle school, I can recall there was a substitute teacher and, you know, I was one of those kids. I wasn't a bad kid in the lish, but if you gave me an inch, I'd, I'd take a yard. And so we had a substitute teacher one day and, you know, I'm not paying attention. I have my feet up on the desk. I'm completely being unruly and unfair <laughs> to this teacher. So Mr. Bell happens to walk by and peek in my classroom. He pulled me out of the class. He takes me into the hallway and that the words that he shared with me that day, Nilesh, still stick with me today. And my voice, I'm getting a little shaken up here just because he's meant so much to my journey. But the, the words that he shared with me that day were that, you know, when you are in public, you're representing not just yourself but your family. And so I've taken that with me throughout life, you know, but today he's actually the head coach now uh, at Cheney University, um, where he was actually an All-American as well during his time, but just a beautiful human being who also meant so much to my development. Can you give me a moment? Of course. Please take your time. These conversations are always like therapy sessions for me. I'm just going back and just revisiting, you know, the, the early years. Well, it's a beautiful journey. It's your truth. It's your story. And I'm truly grateful that you feel vulnerable enough to share that with us. It's also just an incredible example that there's always light. There's always love. And you took your circumstances. You made the most of it and it's helped you become the person you are today. You showcased that it's so important to have positive influences around you. So I just wanted to say thank you, Ty. And what you're sharing with us today, I hope helps inspire some of our listeners. And if you were here with me right now, I'd be giving you a huge, huge hug to say, mate, it's okay to not feel okay. And I think it's amazing that you've taken time to reflect on your journey, be it through this conversation, through your book, through just sharing stories with your family and friends. It's just a beautiful example of showing the importance of talking about our emotions, how we feel, what we've experienced, and working through that. So thank you, Ty. You, you talked about how learning to swim, overcoming that fear, that was a lesson in fear. It was, it was such a funny story because to be quite honest, that's how I was taught to swim. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Right. It's too funny. And, 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 and that, whole, that whole notion of overcoming a fear in a swimming pool, it's either sink or swim. Yeah, literally, it's sink or swim. 
What a metaphor for life, right? Exactly, exactly. So Ty, you're now a father. What are you aiming to help teach your daughter? And how do you feel some of your earlier stages of life have helped shape your identity today? Uh, for me, Nalesh, it's just really shaped and informed who I am today and sort of where I'm going tomorrow. Funny enough, just recently, uh, my daughter, Serena, she has started, she's now part of her school cheerleading team and she's this little fifth grader for her. She attends this, this small local private school, but for her, middle school is fifth through the eighth grade. And, you know, one of the things that I, I so admire about my daughter is that she's completely fearless and she just dives right into to things. And so over the course of the past year and a half or so, you know, she's been involved in just numerous endeavors and things that she hasn't done before. So she's, she's played lacrosse this year for the first time. She went out and she played tennis for a school and now she's a part of, you know, her school's cheerleading team, you know, and in addition to, you know, the violin lessons and the ballet and, and so forth. And so my wife and I, you know, we're, we're trying to really shape her into being a really well-rounded person. Uh, I really admire her, her fearlessness. Now I will say, you know, she hasn't enjoyed <laughs> the cheerleading and so one of the things that we're trying to instill is build sort of mental toughness in that you have to finish what you start. And so with cheerleading, she doesn't want to move forward with it. You know, it's not really, it doesn't fit her personality and she's just not enjoying it at all. But, you know, we're impressing upon her the importance of finishing uh, what you start and, and hopefully you know, that's really building uh, an early sense of mental toughness, you know, so I'd say that is an example of some of those lessons from my childhood that have informed me that, you know, I'm now trying to pass along to, to my daughter. And now you're a father, what do you think you've learned about yourself that you may have not had the awareness of beforehand? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question. You know, I've, I've never even <laughs> pondered this question before, you know, for me, you know, there's a depth of love and patience and understanding that frankly, I, I didn't realize that I had, uh, you know, much of my life has frankly been about building a legacy for, for my family. And, and so, you know, this is forcing me to really step outside of myself and, you know, outside of my marriage for really the first time in life, um, putting someone before me. And that definitely is a, a lesson. You know, my wife and I, for the first seven years of our marriage, you know, we vacillated back and forth in terms of whether or not we'd actually have a child, you know? And, and so it's been, of course, that the best and, and greatest decision that, that we've, that we've made, you know, she brings such a air of lightness to our family and you know, 
she always puts a smile on her faces. So if we're, we're having a bad day at work, or picking her up from, from school or from practice, she immediately lights up my day and my world and, and sort of puts a smile on my face, puts a smile on her mother's face as well as her grandparents. She's clearly a testament to not only your wife and yourself in terms of parenting, but the journey of your entire family, the light through your entire generations. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'd love to get back to your book if we could. It aims to put a human face on so many themes and challenges. How do you believe sharing these stories can impact and inspire others? My hope is that that the personal accounts captured in the book really inspire and motivate others that anything uh, is possible in life, you know, no matter where you start or what obstacles that you may have faced with the right mindset, with the right attitude, with dedication, hard work, any, anything is possible. So if my story positively, you know, impacts just one individual out there, then I feel like I've somewhat succeeded in part of my God-given mission to bring about hope and inspiration to others and, and being able to really navigate, learning how to navigate life's peaks and valleys. It's that classic example of the ripple effect. If you touch one life, the ripple in the water may extend to someone else. And I think we forget that at times. The impact we can have on just one person can touch so many more. In this world where there's so much external noise, influence, we really need to remind ourselves to just stay true to ourselves. And that goodness of staying true to yourself really does extend out. It brings about good energy and it, that extension of love to others. Does, Nalesh, and a part of that love and that positive energy that helped to really shape character and mindset. Um, you know, I want to revisit one of your, your earlier questions around uh, having that love of a, and support of a close-knit family and teachers and coaches and mentors. The other individual here that I, I did not want to leave out is David Springer. He's my old uh, college coach. He was an assistant coach at the time. At Shippensburg University is where I attended undergrad and, and grad school. But Coach Springer, you know, a part of his role, if you were a senior and you were the captain of the basketball team, one of your responsibilities off the court was to write an alumni newsletter. Coach Springer, uh, during my senior year, I was our team captain. And so, you know, that was my role in writing that alumni newsletter. Well, <laughs> he shared with me that the feedback that he received from that newsletter was so positive that if they really, whether this is, I, could, I don't know what this says about me at that stage in life, but they, they couldn't believe that it was so well-written <laughs> in such a way that, you know, that they couldn't believe you know, the, the source of the alumni newsletter. I was a handful in college, no less. I certainly was not the person that I am today or approach life at that stage with any degree of seriousness. I frankly, at times, every semester, you know, took two-week vacations away from class. <laughs> and being fully transparent, but that was really my introduction to writing to make me say, aha, I think I have something here. You know, 
that was an aha moment for me. That led to me um, having confidence in my writing abilities, which led to my writing a Journey to Manhood and uh, the, the second book where I was a contributing author, Why Do We Love, and many of those industry articles that I've penned over the years. But it, it started out with, with Coach Springer, who I'm still in close contact with today and speak with from time to time. It's interesting in retrospect how opportunities show up in our lives. I'm curious, you obviously found your gift of writing, a passion for poetry. Did you have any influences through music that helped inspire you or even get you through your earlier stages of life? Yeah, I love that you're, you're going here, Nalesh. I'm a huge lover of music. And so for me, without sounding hopefully too cliche, you know, Music has really been a sort of a part of the soundtrack to to my life, if you will. And so I have two artists, uh, and hip-hop in particular, for me, I've always loved. I can recall my first hip-hop tape, cassette tape. So this was many, many moons ago, uh, but it was Harris One, my philosophy. I can recall both my aunts were uh, in college at the time, and it was Black Beach Week. Down in Virginia Beach, my Aunt Carol was at Hampton University. And then, you know, my Aunt Evie was at the rival university, Norfolk State. And at the time, I happened to be visiting my Aunt Morgie in, in the Virginia Beach area. I was very, I was too young to be with them, Nalesh. But I can just recall listening into that entire tape from beginning to end. Oh, the A side, the B side of KRS-One and Boogie Down Production, my philosophy. And, and so the, the beauty of KRS-One, which, which the acronym stands for Knowledge Reigns Supreme over nearly everyone, is that during the time, you know, he was a part of the vanguard in introducing sort of social consciousness into hip hop hip-hop music and, you know, it, it, with a bit of a, a reggae flavor as well. So I started to, to learn a little bit about reggae music and have a love for, for reggae music today and an artist like Yellow Man. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with Yellow Man or not, but looking him up. And then the other, of course, which you and I oftentimes talk about is, is Nas. So Nas and I, Nazir Jones, right? We are around the same age. So many of his life experiences and uh, what he shared with the world, you know, I was, I was experiencing similar things in, in my life uh, and continue to today. I think he's on like what is... I don't know how many albums he's made today, but he's nearly 50 years old today and he's been making music. Uh, you know, he's a child prodigy. And so he's been making music since the age of 16. And uh, so those are my, my two uh, favorite, favorite artists. Again, really being introduced uh, at a very early age to, to KRS-One. Also a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, um, introduced me early on to to run DMC and ev then eventually uh, the Beastie Boys. But gives you a level of the the idea, uh, my passion and sort of fandom for for the hip hop genre. <laughs> I love that amazing influences. I'm a huge hip hop fan myself. Nas famously once said, "All I need is one mic," and Ty, now you have it through sharing these stories and. In the famous words of KRS-One, we've also managed to step into your world 
So I want to thank you for sharing so much of this with us, with me. It's truly an inspiration. Please keep doing what you're doing through your writing. Thank you for bringing your gift to the world. Yeah, th thank you again, Malesh, for inviting me to your podcast and really allowing me to share my journey with your listeners, which before we go, I, I just want to uh, lead your, your listeners with just a few sort of tidbits or, or takeaways in terms of reaching and achieving their, their true potential and, and living a limitless life. One, you know, let go of the fear of failure the fear of disappointment, the fear of embarrassment and embrace the fullness of life. And, you know, life isn't always going to go your way. You really have to go your way and take life with you. And so you, you really have to have and demonstrate a willingness to persevere patiently, which will lead you to the best version of yourself. One where your character is in alignment or one with with God. So again, thank you, Nalesh. It's been a, a joy and pleasure spending time with you today. Thank you so much, Ty. Thank you for everything you're doing. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining this episode of Limitless Lives. 